0: On in our series called "Follow Me" as we walk through the book uh, of First John, actually the books of First, Second, and Third John, and we are taking our sweet time. We're going to do uh, a few more verses tonight as we close out Chapter One. But we started um, last week talking about this contrast between darkness and light. We talked about the very nature of God being light, and now we're talking about what it looks like to actually walk in that light. And John, over the next a uh, few weeks is going to show us a few different mile markers that you know um, you're a Christian and you're walking in the light. And so I am going to be talking tonight uh, about the very first part of walking in the light, and that's confession. You see, the first step, obviously, in following Jesus is recognizing that you need to. Uh, now, when I say confession, knowing that this is, this is the theme for tonight, for these three verses, what comes to mind you don't have to answer me, but just ponder. What comes to mind when I say confession? Like how many of you, when I say the theme tonight is confession, get pumped? You're like, wow. I mean, I love talking about confession. Now, if we were honest, most of us probably don't have super great feelings about confession. Uh, maybe we don't think that it applies to us a lot because we're a believer and we're, we're safe positionally in Christ. And so we think, well, I mean, that's for someone who, who um, is coming into the faith. For others, you think of guilt. Um, Maybe you think of yourself standing before your parents and having to fess up for something you did when you were a little kid or uh, in high school. Uh, Maybe you think of, um, maybe you grew up in a Catholic church and you think of a confessional. For some, when I say confession, uh, you have a great emphasis on that. For others, Maybe, uh, again, it's just that entryway into the faith. Maybe you were at kids' camp or you grew up in a Baptist church where you heard Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10 all the time, and you thought, okay, if I, if I just confess Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. And so confession sounds kind of easy, right? Like, like, oh, I just got to confess. I just got to say it, and I got to believe. But if you dig deeper into what confession really means, uh, it's a big deal. It's powerful. Matter of fact, I would argue that some of us in this room are dealing with some stagnancy. Um, I don't say that because I know you. I say that because I know all of us in the faith, myself included. Maybe you're, you're struggling with stagnancy in your faith, and you've thought about things like, ah, I need to read the Bible more. Oh, I need to be around community. Maybe I need to serve God. Maybe I need to give. You're thinking all those things. And I would venture to say maybe confession is the issue. Uh, Because I believe that confession in the Christian faith is a blessing and it is powerful and I believe it's more tied to God's power than it is self-pity. For many of us, it's tied simply to self-pity. Oh, I I get it. I know. I am messed up. I got issues. And then when you sit in that for a while, then a minister takes you and says, "Well, we'll usher you into just focusing just on God and not your own junk anymore and just think about God so you don't confess anymore. But the life of a believer... It is one where you are constantly drawn into a uh, humble dependence and reliance on the Lord. This is why we talk about uh, making disciples and the, the command. Uh, what does it do when you say, I'm going I'm to devote myself to making disciples? You have to be reliant on the Lord. Uh, when we talk about taking steps of faith, you have to be reliant on the Lord. But when we talk about confession, confession makes you reliant on the Lord. That's the posture of a growing believer. It's the posture of someone who sees God's power. Think about it. You see, uh, someone in your life who's struggling with addiction, regardless of what kind of addiction, you see uh, the turning point is when? When all their friends tell them, hey, you got a problem? No, it's when they realize, I got a problem. Like, I know I got a problem. Maybe they were close to death. Maybe it was just a uh, hit them like a ton of bricks. But it's when they confess and they realize, I got an issue. It's when things turn around. We, we use analogies about working out on a regular basis. What, what makes someone want to exercise and be healthy and eat right? It could be that someone says, hey, you need to eat right. But more times than not, it's looking in the mirror and being like, that's me? <laughs> that's what I look like? Or maybe you have a health scare. Confession plays a huge role in realizing, I know deep down I got an issue. Not just I'm saying it. I know I got an issue. Let me take this even further. How many of y'all were bullied when you were a kid? Or maybe even as an adult? Or where someone degraded you and said, You're not good enough. Maybe you're too small, maybe you're too nerdy, maybe you're just an outcast, but whatever it was, whatever form it came in, it was making you feel like you weren't good enough. Some of us who have had those experiences, we think, yeah, I remember that time very clearly. There was this one guy on the playground, he did this, or there's this guy on my football team, and he did this, or there was this girl that I was in the dorms with in college, and she made me feel this big. And some of us We spend our entire lives fighting, with that as the motivation, fighting against that idea that we're not good enough. And it makes us climb the corporate ladder, and it makes us try to excel uh, in our relationships. And the world would say, yeah, that's the underdog story. They say, you're an overcomer. All with this motivation that someone said, once upon a time, you're not good enough. And you said, I am good enough. Even though the world might say you're an overcomer, God might say you're wasting your time. What if uh, I'm not in any way, shape, or form advocating for bullying? Please understand me. But what if the basic understanding that, man, you're not good enough when it comes to a holy, righteous God? Like, he's got standards. You can't meet him. What, what if that's true? Isn't it weird... <laughs> That our culture says, man, you gotta fight, fight, fight against the idea that you're not good enough, but then you come into the church and we say, if you want true freedom, the first step is realizing you in and of yourself, you're not good enough. Now you don't sit in that self-pity. You realize Jesus is good enough on your behalf, and that's where the freedom comes from. But that's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? So, as we walk through this tonight. I want, uh, I want you to see how much of a blessing confession is and what it does to us. Because if you are actively not only confessing your sins to God, but you are receiving His grace and you're seeing His power, uh, I, believe, um, I believe that you're probably a growing believer. And I think there's a lot of folks in the church who have gone from prayers of, I need you, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, to God. God, thank you that I'm not like them. And and that's the difference between pride and humility. And confession is the conduit, the vessel, the gateway to a humble life in Christ. So, this is going to be fun. Do you believe that? This is gonna be good. So we're gonna be in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 10. Verses 8 and 10 are very similar, so they're parallels, and we'll um we'll we'll hit 8 a little bit and uh not as much on 10, and we'll park mostly in verse 9 tonight. So if you got a Bible, we'll be in the ESV translation. If you don't have a Bible, we got them right behind that welcome center. We'll hook you up with one, and that is our gift to you. Verse 8. John says, If we that's you and me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All right, let's stop and talk about that. First thing we see, don't pretend like you don't need Jesus. Don't pretend like you don't need Jesus. A few key words we see here. Say. This is the idea now of confession. Not just lip service, but something deeper. We'll see that here in a second. The word sin in the Greek here actually has two different meanings. And it's important because we're going to see uh, sin brought up several times here, but the Greek word actually changes uh, in a verse. And that'll be important. Here, it has two different meanings. It means both the sins that you are committing. So if you say that you're not committing sins. and, And number two, from a judicial standpoint, the the, legal, the, um, the guilt that you have for the sins that you have committed. So on one hand, it means if you say that you're not actively making mistakes, you're wrong. And if you say, even maybe you got it going on right now, you're doing all right, but if you say that you don't have guilt from sins that you've committed in the past, or even this week, or even today, you're wrong as well. You see, it's been said that there's really two categories of sin for the believer. Some would think right off the bat, well, I'm I'm not doing a bunch of bad stuff. I'm pretty good, right? But the, the two general categories is, number one, we know we're sinning when we're doing things that we shouldn't do. But number two, we know that we're sinning when we're not doing things that we should do. And so you might say, hey, I don't have any egregious sin in my life right now. As I've matured in Christ, he's sanctified me, and I've found myself walking away from some of the things that have made me stumble throughout the years. But every one of us knows there's plenty of things that he's saying, do this. And we haven't taken that step to do it. We're all in that boat. Everybody is in that boat. If Andy was here, he'd say, everybody say... Everybody, there you go. Everybody is in that boat. And it says that we deceive ourselves. Now, this word deceive um, isn't just a doctrinal error in your own mind. It means in the Greek to cause, to wander off. So if you say you don't have sin, you are causing yourself to walk down the wrong path. And the truth is not in us. Truth means two things. Number one, doctrinally, this message that we're talking about, it's not a part of your life. It's not a reality for you. And number two, the truth being, as John 14 tells us, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is both a doctrine, it's an understanding, it's a belief, but it's also a person. It is Jesus So this is where this whole book gets scary, because when John is talking about these things, he's saying, I'm not just giving you suggestions about life. I'm saying, if you actually follow Jesus, then you're going to do these things. You're going to do some of these things. So why? Why does John even bring this up? If you remember when we were talking about The context of this book, there were false teachers in the church in Ephesus. That's where John uh, did a lot of his ministry, and that is who scholars believe he was writing to. And these false teachers were saying essentially um, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They were some kind of uh, angelic being that he didn't really die on the cross, that he really wasn't here physically. Don't worry about all that stuff. And one of the implications of their heresy, their wrong belief and teaching, was that they were saying you can be, um, you can be good enough. Like you don't have to um, say that you're a sinner. You in and of yourself can drum up holiness. And they're saying they could do it in their own strength. Now, if we're being honest, (laughs) let's be honest. This is where some churches have got a bad rap where we come to faith in Jesus and we say, wow, we need Jesus. But then year after year after year, we start getting comfortable with ourselves and we start thinking, man, I'm I'm decent. I'm doing pretty good. And then we start judging everyone who isn't doing as good as we are. And we think of these pictures in our minds of, of these judgmental churches, right? You can picture the, the 16-year-old girl who all of a sudden is pregnant and nobody talks to her in the church, but everyone's thinking, That's horrible. There's Like we can't even fellowship with her, right? And and then you picture the unwed mother (laughs) years later coming and finding judgment. Like we have certain pictures in our mind of of these judgmental churches who say, man, you need to get it together. Now it's true. It's true to some degree um, what these false teachers are saying in the sense that You do have to be perfect to have fellowship with God. The question is, the question is, by whose strength, right? And we know it's by the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that covers our sins that we are um, able to have fellowship with God. John isn't telling us that it's okay to sin. He's not saying, man, I love it that there's sin in the church. He's just saying, let's get real. (laughs) Let's get real. If you're going to sit up on your high horse and pretend like you don't have messed up mistakes, things going on in your life, does it mean it's okay? No. Does it mean that that we should just say, hey, let's just live however we want? No, of course not. But if you get to the place, and I think a lot of Christians are, where if you believe in your mind cognitively, that you're a pretty good person. Some of us, as, a, as a preacher, I got pet peeves. One of them is when people say, I'm a good person. I got to just eat at my soul. Just eat at me. Jesus, in Luke 18, when the Pharisees say, hey, good teacher. And he stops him before, before he even answers a question. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. This is God saying this. Of course, they don't know at that moment he's God. But Jesus in his flesh is saying, no one's good. Just God. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. All have strayed, all have gone their own way. But if you've come to the place where you believe that you're a pretty good person, then the blood of Jesus doesn't mean anything to you. And so that's why maybe you don't see God's power in your life is because you flat out just don't really think you need it. And most of what we talk about becomes a suggestion or an option and not something you're desperate for. I remember when I started a little lawn care business in Hutchinson. I've mentioned this several times. But at the beginning of of this lawn care business, I felt really insecure. I was a convicted felon. I couldn't get a job as a dishwasher at Carlos O'Kelly's or Montana Mike's or anywhere else in Hutchinson that I applied for. No one wanted me to be working for them. And so I said, well... I got to make money somehow. So I, I bring my old AD4 Chevy truck and uh, take out a $3,000 loan and buy some mowers. And I got a trailer I built in high school with an old Oldsmobile axle that I welded onto a frame and said, okay, well, I'm going to haul this down to Hutchinson and see if I can't start a business. And I did. And at first I was really insecure because I thought, I don't know anything about business, but I had an entrepreneurial spirit. Let's just give it a go. I got no options. And then it started doing well. And then two months in, I say, get rid of my $3,000 mower. I need something better. And so I'm taking out loans, and the business is growing. And within the first year or two, it started to do well enough to where, um, you know, I bought a little house, and things were, were going well. Somewhere down the line, I started to believe I was somebody. You ever been there? I started to believe, like, maybe, maybe this reason this whole thing's going so well is because maybe I'm the next up-and-coming young business guy, Lawn Care Weekly will have me on their front page saying, look at this little guy who started a dunk business in Hutchinson, Kansas. I'll tell you what, I didn't have family in Hutch. I didn't have many, many friends. One day, being on my high horse, riding my expensive fancy mower all around, buzzing around this uh, lady's backyard. She wasn't home. Thank Jesus, she wasn't home. And it had rained a little bit earlier in the day. Of course, when you're in commercial lawn care you got to mow no matter what and i go under her swing set there's barely any grass there but i had to go in there and you know how sometimes there's puddles and whatnot well there weren't any puddles but it was kind of muddy i bury my mower like it goes down in this thing we're talking like eight inches of mud I like I, this is a heavy heavy hundreds of pounds to move this thing i can't budget. I'm spinning. I am ripping her backyard to shreds with my mower. Keep in mind, she paid me for 20 bucks just to mow her lawn. And now I'm under her swing set, just spinning and tearing her stuff apart. I didn't have anyone to call. I saw two dudes. This is my pre-Jesus days. Keep in mind. I saw two dudes down the way. I drove to the liquor store, bought them a six-pack of beer, show up at their door, don't know these guys from anyone else, and just say, hey, I buried my mower in some mud. Will you guys help me? Here you go. And They looked at me. They were just a couple big old country boys going to Juco there in Hutch. And, And they said, sure. And they came out there, and they bailed me out. They lifted this thing out of the mud. Talk about humbling. Find out, you're not as cool as you thought. You're not as cool as you thought. And that's what confession reminds us and i'm afraid that christian culture has got to the point where we even see sin in the church we think that can't even be a christian church and yet john is saying the opposite you can't even be here in fellowship with us if you aren't admitting you got junk you got issues and so we've made this culture that is so prim and proper and doesn't want to even give a hint that we don't have everything together. And John, he's letting us know, listen, you want to know what the church looks like? It looks kind of messy because we are coming here confessing we have issues. People say all the time, well, the church is hypocritical. The church is hypocritical. And I think, uh, maybe, but I don't know what church you're a part of. Because if you're a part of a church that says, We need Jesus. There's no hypocrisy in that. We're saying we need him. That's why we're here. Jesus is the one cleansing us, but it should be messy that we're saying we need Jesus. Verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful. This is the famous verse. If any of you got saved going through the Romans road, uh, they probably jumped over to 1 John one nine at some point. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, that's Jesus, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, the habit of confession. Now, the word habit I'll explain here in a bit. But the habit of confession. Some key words we want to talk about. Number one, simply this beginning clause here, if we confess our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if your confession is not tied to reception, it is just self-pity. The power comes in that you're confessing you need Jesus, and then you receive Jesus. If you're not receiving, then it's simply self-pity. But he says, if we confess, now this is where, this is simple and small, but this is where the whole night changes, at least in my mind. Because again, we can say confess all day long, and for some of us, it's just lip service. That Romans 10 passage, we say believe, okay, I believe, right? Um, And confess that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Okay, I can say that with my mouth, right? But the word confess in Greek is not just to admit, it is to acknowledge, So this is a deep, heartfelt realization and understanding. I'm a sinner. Not just I was told I was a sinner. Not just I want life to change and so I'm going to pray some prayer. I'm a sinner. And this breaks God's heart. Have you ever had a relationship just crack and crumble? And you tried to fix it and you tried to patch it, and then you finally got to the point, maybe they left, and you just realized by yourself, you're like, I had a hand in doing this. Like, this is on me. That's a powerful moment. That's where stories start to change. That's where stories start to change. It really, it it means not only acknowledgement, but to agree with God, to agree with God. Sin, now I told you sin, in verse 8, is a different word than sin here. Sin means here contrary to God's will. So when you say, well, what, what is sin? What is sin? Some say, well, it's missing the mark. It's true, right? The old archery term, but it's Contrary to God's will. And then faithful. He is sure and fully trustworthy here. God is sure and fully trustworthy and just. This is a legal word here. He is just to forgive us our sins. The word forgive it means to pardon to remove guilt and so there's there's two aspects which i'll explain a little bit In a second, there's this legal aspect and this relational aspect of forgiveness and confession. Now, we're going to see in chapter 2, he's going to talk about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. There's a lot of legal jargon, and the idea is God as judge over us is just to forgive us when we confess. There's this legal implication here, but then there's a whole other side that's relational, and that'll make sense in just a little bit. But just means legally what God requires, and forgiveness is to pardon or remove the guilt. I, I know we all have a basic understanding of forgiveness, but like I really struggle for a lot of years with God's definition of forgiveness—to remove guilt, to remove guilt. I remember uh, after three years, were terribly convicted as a felon. Um, I could go through the expungement process. Hopefully, none of you are terribly familiar with with that. Uh, Unfortunately, I am, or at least in my case, years ago. And I remember talking to the lawyer, and then even talking to the judge, talking to anyone I could about what it meant to have your crimes, um, your convictions, expunged. And they would tell me this, you can claim legally that these crimes were never committed like, I struggle with that because I'm thinking to myself, but isn't that lying? Right? Isn't that lying? I'm like, so you're telling me on a resume when they ask, have you ever been convicted of a felony, you're telling me I tell them no. That's correct. That, that just doesn't sit well, right? But legally, that's what it means. And forgiveness for God means it's as if it never happened. That when Jesus washes us clean with his blood, we say, well, okay, our sins is far from the east to the west. We get that. And it blotches out our transgressions. And we see all that. And you're like, okay, but still he kind of still remembers them. But scripture says he remembers our sins no more. Like this is really what forgiveness means. That it's as if it didn't happen when the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It's not that we ignore them, it's that we are fully forgiven. To cleanse means to make perfectly pure. And unrighteousness means our unjust deeds. So, let's ask a couple questions. Number one, do you as a believer need to confess after every sin? Haven't you ever felt that feeling of like, man, what if I am driving down the road and I got some sin in my life and I don't confess it and then I get in a horrible, tragic accident and I die with unconfessed sin? Am I going to die and go to hell? I mean, We feel that, don't we? Because if you just look and take this verse at face value, there's two primary options for what it means. Is number one, at salvation, you confess your sins and you're forgiven, right? Or that we have to continually ask for forgiveness and confess our sins, or we're not forgiven. And, And that's a struggle for us. So do you have to confess your sins every time you sin? No, you do not. What kind of freedom, honestly, would that be? Think about it, just from your human experience. God says, "Good time you mirror. All ye who are heavy-laden, find rest." Oh, by the way, now every time you make a mistake, whether you know that you made a mistake or not, you just need to come and ask for forgiveness. We'd be working hard. Here, here, here's the assumption: you can't ever, 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 ever start believing that your salvation is based on your good deeds, even when it comes to confession. You can't confess enough to be purified. So don't play mind games with yourself. Don't live in guilt. You're leaving a lot of freedom on the table that God says, I'm giving you freedom to have peace of mind. That when I say I died once and for all, it means once and for all. Jesus doesn't need to come back and die again for your sins today. Let me, um. let me, don't take my word for it. We'll go back. Remember, we spent months going through Hebrews, but let's revisit it. Let me just read for you here. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read the first few verses, and then we'll skip down to a few more verses. It says, For since the law, so the Old Testament, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices, so we're talking about sacrificing animals, the Old Testament sacrificial system for your sins, By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So you see the sacrificial system in the Old Testament and you wonder... Hmm, how pumped were they when they heard about a Messiah coming? Like they, they were, It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Skipping down to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Go through Leviticus with a fine tooth comb. I know that'd be a wonderful task for all of us, right? But you start to see, I mean, we're talking a lot of animals, blood, guts, animals everywhere. Uh, Just a horrible scene of, of these people coming to the temple. And you're not talking just a couple people, hundreds of people doing this and how priests must have just thought, this is never ending. This is never ending. But when Christ had offered for all time So scripture tells us very clearly, you don't need to confess and worry and freak out after every single sin. So why then would confession even be important for Christians? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's spend a little time chatting about this. I'm going to give you eight quick, hopefully quick, wonderful reasons as to why it's important for us to develop the habit of confession. The first one is forgiveness is both positional and relational. So here's what I mean by positional. The legal understanding of Jesus' death on the cross meant that when you place your faith in Jesus, whether it's at kids camp, whether it's here tonight, whenever it is, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are cleansed of your sin, past, present, and future by Jesus' single sacrifice. So you can rest in that. Your position in Christ is secure, and it does not change. It cannot change. If you believe it can, you're saying Jesus' sacrifice isn't good enough, and I need something else, and that's a really hopeless place to be. So positionally, things can't change. You place your faith in Jesus, you are secure. But there is a relational aspect. How many of you, when you sin against a loved one, a spouse, your kids, a coworker it gets awkward until you come and talk to them about it and say, listen, I recognize I made a mistake and I just, want, I just want to apologize. I'm sorry for that. There's a fellowship that's broken, is there not? So when it comes to God's family, when you sin as a believer, God doesn't kick you out of the family, but you grieve the Holy Spirit and it's going to feel a little bit awkward. And you see through Scripture, you get into Corinthians, Paul saying, some of y'all, you've been taking the Lord's Supper all crazy, and dudes, you've been treating your wives mean. That's why you're not hearing from God. Now, don't let your mind go crazy with this. You'll think, oh, no, fellowship's always broken. Everything's messed up. No, just from your human experience, recognize that if you are building up sin over and over and over, you're not confessing it. It's driving a wedge in your experience with God as a father. doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means, relationally, you wouldn't do that with any relationship on earth and say it's healthy. (laughs) If you're a leader, in any capacity, and you never confess sin, your team, your employees, will have very little respect for you. They'll say, oh, you're always right. Every opinion and idea you've ever had is perfect. You're never wrong. Right? If you're a husband or a wife and you don't ever confess sin to your spouse, it ain't going to go very well. And when it comes to God, positionally, you're secure relationally. This is a habit. You're like, all right, I need, I need to come back to you. I know I've been, I've been pushing against your will. And I just, I just I want to confess it. Number two, it's a reminder of the good news. It's perspective. I tell us all the time, we've got to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus to ourselves daily. We are reminded uh, of what Jesus has done on the cross, that he paid the price for our sin. This is where we say you're not experiencing the power of God because you don't believe you need the power of God. If you are confessing sin, you will remember very quickly, you need the power of God. I don't know many people who can say to God, listen, here's my mistakes, here's what I've been doing. Oh, you know, yeah, the whole Jesus thing on the cross is cool, but let's talk about other stuff. No, you are made very aware. Oh, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Number three, healing. It digs up past hurts that need to be healed. You know where a lot of sin is often found? Open wounds. Is it not? A lot of sin in your life is found in open wounds. Think about some of the stuff you, you've um, been pained by over the years. A relationship, sexual impurities, issues where you've still got healing to go through. And if you're not confessing your sin to God, then you can keep some of that stuff hidden way down deep, right? Right? But if you're, if you're confessing your sin to God and you're looking and you're realizing, you know, there's something that happened 10 years ago that I haven't wanted to talk about and I try to forget about it, but you know you need healing, guess what's going to bring that thing up and put it in front of the throne of God? Confession. And then you realize, that was an open wound I forgot about. So confession often leads to healing. And along with that, number four, it discourages, and this is not an exhaustive list, although I might exhaust you in it. It is, there's there's plenty of more things here. Number four, discouraging, discourages hidden sin from building up. One well, of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, if you look through the Psalms, you'll see a couple phrases over and over and again. One of them is, I lift my voice up to the mountains, to the heavens, to the Lord. Now we see that symbolically, right? It's like, oh, I just prayed. But guess what? It was not uncommon for the Hebrew people to practice prayers out loud. Do you pray much out loud? Or or are most of your prayers just internal? To practice praying out loud with confession is a big deal. I'm not saying get around all your buddies and do that, although that might be healthy. But even alone, if you verbalize your mistakes, it does something to you. You know what it's like to have something lifted off your shoulders, the feeling of relief, and you realize, wow, I I got stuff in my life built up, sin, junk, and you verbalize it in confession, you will probably, probably, be less likely to continue to build up hidden sins. And this will help you, not only in your relationship with God, but your relationship with other people, right? It's scary to have secrets of sin, is it not? And if you find yourself able to verbalize these, you realize, I don't want this building up in my life. Number five, it develops humility. How many of you love to say that you stink at life? Anybody in this room find joy in that? Not many of us, right? It's only one of us. We'll talk later. We'll do some counseling. Not many of us enjoys saying that we mess up But it's going to develop some humility if you can tell the God of the universe, I mess up. And again, that will translate into healthy behavior with other relationships in your life. Some of us, we cannot, we just struggle. We cannot admit that we're wrong. If you practice confession with God, you will find it easier to confess and admit that you're not all that uh, to those around you. Number six, It guards against pride. Humility and pride obviously are are separated there. They're the opposite of one another. But it guards against pride. Let me read to you a little Bible story. One of my favorites. You can just listen along. This is a parable that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 18. He said, verse 9, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. How many of you remember the story? Anybody? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, you've got to believe in that moment. He was thinking, that's a noble thing to pray. He wasn't doing that to be a jerk. That's really what his heart believed. Pride. This is important. I wish I didn't have this story. I don't know if you know this or not. Sometimes I'm not super sensitive and I say stupid things. That might be news to you. Let me give you an unfortunate example. We were in Grow Group last week, and there was um, a young gal in the group that was talking about having a difficult time um, trusting God with with uh, her pregnancy. Now, this is a common thing for young mothers and fathers, especially for a first child. We're talking about God's sovereignty and having issues of, of, of maybe trusting him as being sovereign over part of your life. So me, being incredibly um, helpful and willing to uh, comfort her, thought, what stories do I have, faith builders, that can help? So I proceed immediately <laughs> to tell her about the time when Silas was born, and four hours after he was born, he stopped breathing. And then the nurse came in and told him, told us, you know, she was crying and everything. And then she, she told us that, hey, you know, he, he stopped breathing and, and now he's going to be better. I didn't even make it like halfway through the story between, before two moms, one being my wife, the other one being um, uh, another mom in the group, said, nah, 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 nah. I kid you not, for a split second. I didn't realize I was being an idiot. If I did, I wouldn't have done it. And immediately, I felt pride, and I wanted to fire back uh, at my wife, at the other guy, and be like, "Listen, like what I wanted to say was, you can't keep your head in the sand all the time. Like this is life. This is reality. And you know, like, <sighs> how well would that have gone? So I pulled back, and later on the way home. Even though I felt so much pride, I I just said, God, forgive me for saying stupid things. Help me to be sensitive. Help me to have discernment and wisdom. I'll tell you what, man. I had an opportunity for pride to stack on top of pride, stacked on top of pride. And when I recognized that I had some pride, I had to knock that out. It wasn't fun, but confession will strip away that pride number 7 it makes fertile soil the human heart by design is like a dry desert land thirsting for god's grace and mercy confession is like that desert land that you see with the huge cracks all throughout the earth just begging for a flash flood of grace and mercy it, it is a it is god Working in your heart when you confess and providing an opportunity for his grace, his mercy, his word to be firmly rooted and to start growing. It makes for good soil. It's really hard to accept anything any preacher is going to tell you if you're thinking that you don't really need it. Confession makes fertile soil. It's not the only thing that does, but it helps. And last but not least, it develops authenticity. Authenticity. There's a lot of folks, maybe even in this room, who struggle, I have to believe, struggle with authenticity with God. The Bible says we should come to him as a little child. You know how little child, children come to God or come to their parents, right? They, they come, they say goofy things, they say good things, they th- say, you know, horrible things. They just talk and, and they just pour out their heart to their parents. Like they, they don't have much of a filter, right? They just come in faith Trusting, that's their father, that's their mother. Some of us don't know how to open up to God. But when you find that you practice as a habit confession, it opens your heart and it allows you to be more natural with God. There's nothing hidden. You can cognitively know, nothing in my life is hidden from God. But when you confess, you're saying, God, I realize this is me. And it helps draw out authenticity in the way that you speak to God in other areas. So let me ask you, how much of your life, I'm going to assume most of you are believers, how much of your prayer life is spent um, in confession? Well, let's get weird like we did last week and do a little practice together. Let's, um, let's just pray for a minute. We, uh, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon so we don't have much time. But a prayer of confession uh, simply has a few parts. number one, you open your heart, you confess sin in detail it 's one thing to say i 'm a sinner it's another thing to say god i um I was gossiping at work, I knew i shouldn 't and, and I withheld for a second, um, but then I gave in, and I said this about this person I said this it, it, it just just pulls at the heartstrings. number two, asking for god 's response to listen to dwell, you know. The word of God says he he will receive that sin. He wants to cover that sin. It's another thing for you to ask him in prayer. God, how do you respond? To let him speak to you. To dwell and meditate on his response to your sin. That's a powerful thing. I could tell you all day long how God feels about your sin and what he did to pay the price for it. It's another thing for you to hear it straight from him. And last but not least, to receive it. To thank him for what he's done. So I just want to pray with you for a minute. And at the beginning I'll, I'll lead you in the prayer at the beginning I want to um, I want to give you a minute to confess your sin silently um, to to go in detail with maybe some things he's been convicting you about lately and then I'll, I'll continue to lead us in prayer from there so let's pray Father, we we know uh, that in the last 30 seconds, it's certainly not an exhaustive list of our, our sin, our mistakes. But Father, we, um, we recognize our, our great need for you. And we know that your word says that you will, you are just to forgive. So God, we just pray that you would, you would tell us what's your response to our sin. God, we just want to listen and hear from you, from your heart. God, we thank you. We thank you that you cleanse us from our sin, that you have um, blotted out our transgressions. Father, you are good. God, we are reminded of your goodness. And Lord, each one of us tonight, we just receive your forgiveness. Father, we receive restoration. Lord, we know that uh, you will never cast us away from yourself. And Father, um, make God, make us joyous. Um, Father, with your response, we thank you for loving us. Uh, We thank you that there is never an end to your grace. And God, we see your power in salvation uh, and forgiveness and restoration. Help us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a good habit to pray those kinds of prayers. Last but not least, and we just got a couple minutes. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Third thing we see, confession gives God glory. Two key words, liar, one who utters falsehoods. So if we say we haven't sinned, that's what we're saying about God, is that he calling us sinners is a liar. And his word, logos, means both um, the message, but also Jesus. Remember, verses 1 through 4 in the same book told us that the Word became flesh. It is Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time the Word becoming flesh. That those two things are not in us. You see, this is what it boils down to. Confession really isn't about our sin, it's about realizing and agreeing with God. That he says we need him, that he says we are sinners, but he also pays the price. And so don't fight confession. Don't view confession as something you have to do or, or something that you dread to do, but realize this is God's conduit. This is this is him stirring your heart. This is him saying, you're ready. I, I paid the price. I paid the price. It's like, uh, it's like someone who's about to to give someone a great surprise, a great gift, and they see that they're downtrodden and they're hurting, and the giver of the gift recognizes that they're they're going to change in a split second when they see what I have for them. And God recognizes when we confess and when we're downtrodden, when we realize our sin, he is the one who gives us a great gift. And we know when it comes to receiving gifts, if you are at Christmas time offered a gift from someone, You might think it's noble to say, you know what, I got enough. I'm I'm okay, I don't need any Christmas gift. But you steal glory from the giver who says, "I, I thought of you. I paid the price for you. I'm here because I want to give to you. And then it's a beautiful thing. Confession is the spiritual environment of your heart that connects your broken earthly body to God's tangible grace and power. I um, I would venture to say that there may not be a quicker way in your life to start seeing God's power than confession. Let me give you a, an example I'll leave on this story. We'll, we'll end on this. Many of you know that uh, some folks in the church Um, have blessed Tara and I beyond belief in helping to pave a new driveway uh, for us. We lived just a few blocks away, and we had a broken-up, cracked driveway. Uh, It was all jagged and sticking up and and, um, had some issues with water and pooling up in places it shouldn't. And so um, Frank Carlson... Uh, he does concrete on a large scale, like airports and, and highways, and he is really good at what he does. And he is a man of God, and he prompted by God to do this, organize this whole thing. And he, he is a worker. Like I worked uh, close to seventy hours last week uh, in ministry, and it was just a long week. And yet I was standing next to him doing the concrete last Saturday, and I didn't even want to mention that because like, he's that much of a worker. It's like, dude, compared to you, like, yeah, just he is just a worker. Well, after a whole bunch of days of good weather and canceled pours, um, we finally had an opportunity to pour 85% of this driveway. And it's it's a big driveway, like 85 feet long. And so we start pouring it, get to the end, everything's great, and it starts raining. And everyone sat there and watched. And after the rain stopped in a couple hours, they came back and they tried to finish it to make it smooth. You know you don't want any divots in there. Well, they did, and that night it rained a little more, just heavy enough to wash off most of the clear the the top coat. Heartbreaking, uh, knowing there's so much time and energy and money poured into there. Now, in general, the driveway will be fine. Um, just looks a little bit worn. It doesn't bother Terry and I one bit. It's like I mean we're blessed beyond belief. But for Frank, it tore him up he came into church sunday like someone just kicked his dog i mean he was downtrodden wondering how in the world could this happen this guy knows how to pour concrete like he you know what i'm saying and he um he said that after church the other day, he went over to the house and he started grinding things down, trying to make it as smooth as he could. So he's got this big machine and he's grinding it. And he said he was arguing with God. He was, he was confessing uh, to God and he was just struggling. He said he was really ticked off. And he was saying, God, why would this happen? Like we did this and we wanted it to be looking perfect and, and you were leading us to do this. Why would it end up like this? And he said, as he had this big machine Um, that he caught a rock as he was grinding down, and the rock went into the driveway and cut a line like a a frown into the driveway. He said he couldn't believe, like, you got to be kidding me. Here I am again, and this happens. So he tries to come back around to fix it, and he catches another rock, and it goes into like a smiley face into the concrete. Like, it's in there. It ain't going away kind of stuff. We're talking half inch in. And he said, you got to be kidding. But for him... Now, this isn't, I'm not trying to, this isn't Jesus and your mashed potatoes kind of thing. Like, we're not going to go that far. But for him, as he was confessing and pouring out his heart to God, and God answered him with um, the Greek symbol for ichthus, the, the, what we call the Jesus fish, the, the fish that uh, the early church would have this symbol pointing to the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And as you can tell, this isn't like kind of close. This is two feet long of just a perfect symbol. And I, before I even heard his story, went out there on the driveway and said, who in the world put a Jesus fish in our driveway? Like it was obvious to me. And when he showed me and told me the story, he said in that moment he had complete peace. That God was telling him, Frank, I used you. I asked you to do this, but it's not about the perfect concrete. My handprint is on this. It's about the people who serve to do this. It's about the price paid. And Sometimes this is life. It's a little bit messy, but sometimes messy is perfect. And that is um, that's a powerful thing. Confession opens up our hearts to hear from God in powerful ways. So that's why it's good to make it a habit practice daily.